whole new section in the book of Hebrews tonight. And man, I'm telling you, it is uh, tough stuff. When I say tough stuff, I mean tough love kind of stuff. This is, uh, it's, there's a high probability as this is a non-denominational church. There's everybody here from every background of, uh, of Christianity, from Lutherans to Methodists to whatevers. Um, there's a high probability that the section of scripture that we're looking at uh, starting now is one that is often avoided. And even by good Bible teachers, it's just one of those things that demands that you park and dissect and dive in. But at the same time, if we're willing to do that, there's a great reward, I think, at the end of, of this divine rainbow that's really given to us by the Holy Spirit, the, the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 10, now beginning at verse 26 down to verse 31. As we read this in our reading together, please note the gravity and the seriousness of it. Just by way of background, there are five warnings in the book of Hebrews that have rocked the church for 2,000 years. Five of them that have caused debate. And this is the fourth one that we've come to since we've embarked upon the book of Hebrews. And you'll see what I mean in a moment. I'll read verse 26. If you pick it up in verse 27. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he has sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? That is powerful. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And all God's people said, amen, amen everybody. So listen, we're looking at a series titled, Apostasy or Reality? Where are you? This is very important. Apostasy, is that what the author is talking about in this section of scripture or reality? And you're going to see the difference over the course of these next few weeks. We're going to open it up tonight, but the question there is, where are you? Where are you in this? And um, obviously, this portion of Scripture is, by Holy Spirit design, very direct. Listen, it is designed to shake every believer, everyone who reads this, to their core. And you need to hear that tonight. Now, look, I know that this is a, a group of Wednesday nighters. Uh, what I mean by that is, you know, look, I'll be honest with you. There's a reason why we do communion on Wednesdays and not Sundays. You know that? Because Sundays, this church is full of believers and non-believers. And communion, for example, is reserved for the believer. So in trying to obey the scripture in that way, we do communion on Wednesday nights. Why? Because it minimizes, can I just say looky-loos to keep it nice? But Sundays is a mixed multitude of people. I think we all know that. If you've ever seen people trying to drive into the parking lot on a Sunday, it's a, there are believers and then there's non-believers. And both have driver's license. And uh, so what we're looking at here, some denominations will teach, listen, that this is none other than a warning to the born-again believer, the child of God, that if they should sin, then their salvation is lost. And some denominations might teach that you can attempt to get it back, will allow or afford that maybe once or twice. And by the way, uh, the early church fathers uh, took that approach and, and fought against it because there were those of the early church that held what what. This, the author of Hebrews 10 intend? What, what is he saying? Because it's very serious. And it is very serious. 
You read it tonight. But the fact of the matter is, as you look at it carefully, it's beginning to describe someone who was just like you and I, looked like you and I, went to church like you and I. Now, some of these, as he's addressing, they're currently among the body of believers, but the author is telling us that they're not really of us. They're not really with us. They're not true believers. So it's not about you losing your salvation because you sinned. It's about being among believers and becoming an apostate. Have you ever heard that term before? An apostate. Listen, Lord willing, I'll unpack it tonight enough where you'll see the difference between a truly born-again believer that's sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption versus those who the Bible warns us about that there are tares, remember? T-A-R-E-S, tares, that look just like wheat as they grow up. They they look so much like us, the the true believers in the church, that Jesus said when asked, uh, you know, should, or in the parable, Jesus explains, Should we go in and and tear out all the tares and throw them away because they're evil and wrong? And Jesus said, don't you dare do that because if you do that, you might uproot a true believer. That's a warning that they look just like us. They sound just like us. But over time, eventually at the end of time, God himself will separate the sheep from the goats. And church, I I say this to encourage you. The days in which this ship of Christianity that we're in is sailing, there's icebergs ahead. There's rough waters ahead. You sense it, you know it, it's coming. You're not to worry about it. God set the course of his ship in this century, in this millennia, for a purpose. And faithful is he who will get us all the way through to the end. Just remember this as we go through this study tonight. Because there's going to be some very... You're going to get a lot of questions going up off into your head. And you need to get them answered. What's interesting is that Peter, if you remember Peter. And um, I'm going to confess. I personally believe, it's irrelevant. I personally believe that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. It doesn't say he did. But it's what's known in uh, biblical discipline as being Pauline. Pauline meaning that the sentence structure, the word usage. Again, it doesn't matter. But Peter spoke about Paul and how Paul wrote. And he makes mention of that uh, in his scripture. But just by way of intro... Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. 2 Peter 3, 14 says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider the long-suffering of our Lord, uh, our Lord is, is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking about Paul, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand. Aren't you glad Peter had a hard time sometimes understanding Paul? Which untaught, here it is, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. God's truth is given in such a way that only the Holy Spirit can make and bring sense to you. God's word is like a a, a key and a lock. Have you ever picked up the Bible or do you remember picking up the Bible before you were a Christian and you could have turned to Psalms or John John chapter 3. You could have gone to the most basic thing and start trying to read it and you said to yourself, what do those crazy people get out of this book? I remember that. And then when you become a believer, God unlocks the book. And it's like you're telling your family, can't you see it? Can't you see it? And they don't see it. But in the top of your notes, write down apostasy, if you would. Apostasy. You're going to want to know this. I'll read this to you. The meaning of apostasy. This is one of many, but yet they all come to the same conclusion. The word means to abandon, to revolt against, to give up, 
to break off from apostasy, to depart from as the leaving off or the going away from something or someone permanently. Listen, everybody, because are you in, are you in reality or are you in apostasy? Don't make the assumption tonight, church family, that you're in the reality. You want to judge yourself tonight. Listen, as this goes on. We should probably make this clear at this juncture that someone who is in the state of apostasy may very well resemble someone who is in the state of being perhaps backslidden as a believer. Think of that, a backslidden believer. Look, you can't backslide unless you're a believer. Did you know that? Well, is a backslidden believer an apostate? Not according to the Bible. Let's read on. There is, however, a great difference between the two. Apostasy is a full departure from, having no desire nor intent to return back again. Whereas a backslidden Christian is one who is in disobedience and is knowledgeable of that fact, having strayed, they are in a state of being a prodigal. A choice of a believer having succumbed to temptation and thus sin. One who is in a temporary state of disobedience. The apostate is nothing like this. His sin is a particular sin that is as far more lethal, more permanent, and deadly than that of any backslidden believer. Why? The backslidden believer, look, you can be sitting here today, and we mentioned this a little bit on one of the Sunday services, you can be sitting here today and, and have your Bible and, and be speaking uh, Christianese and have a cross around your neck, but your heart can be far from God. You may be born again and on your way to heaven, but you know what? You've, you've been lazy in your faith and, you, and you've kind of cooled off. You can remember when your heart was hotter for Jesus than it is tonight. Guess what? You're backslidden. You need to go back and you need to do your first works of loving Jesus again, right? But you're in the family of God. You're a child of God. Thus, you are backslidden. And so what you want to do, if you're here right now, if you're watching right now, if you're listening to this right now, you want to repent right now by just saying, Lord, I remember a day when I just lived and breathed for you. Everything was you, Jesus. My heart, my, my heart was hot for you. And it's not like that anymore. It's kind, of, it's kind of like my spirit has gotten old. Maybe our spirit has kind of aged with our body. That's not a good thing. Let your body age and let it die. Let's get out of here kind of a thing. The Christian, as we grow up, we grow more like a child. Did you know that? We are to, Listen, by the time you and I leave this world, our goal is to be like a child. That's what Jesus said. He said, you must be like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven. So this body is going the way of this world, but on the inside, we should be getting more excited about Jesus. We should see his word more colorful more than ever. Why? It just makes sense. The longer we walk with Jesus, the more great accounts that we have of his great works. That's why we're supposed to sit our kids down and tell our kids all the things that God did in our earlier lives. And we brag, we boast in Christ. And it's a beautiful thing. An apostate has nothing of that. They, 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 they come among us. We think they're saved. They might even think they're saved. But as time goes on, things begin to pop up. Things begin to show. The dangerous thing is he's warning us about those who are among us and around us. The Bible calls goats or tares, as I mentioned. If that wasn't bad enough, what's terrible about it is that they lead many astray with them. And that's what's scary, everybody. So this book was or is written to the believers who had come out of the traditions of Judaism, thus the book of Hebrews. If they would have stayed in the teaching of the Old Testament, are you listening? If they would have stayed in the teaching of the Old Testament and gone from Malachi to Matthew, everything would have made sense for them. But during that 400-year period of time, between the Old and New Testament, man, the religious Jews, commandeered the faith and built traditions that you hear and read about even in the Bible. 
how Jesus warned about the the traditions of men. And so what happens is they wound up making converts to follow their traditions instead of following Christ. That's why John the Baptist is so awesome. John the Baptist is a prophet of the Old Testament who announces the coming of the new. He's a prophet of the old announcing the new. John was right in the middle, pulling as it were. Imagine, John's pulling the Old Testament and the New Testament that's being revealed together. That's why Jesus spoke of him as being the voice crying out in the wilderness. That ministry of Elijah. We, again, we talked about that recently. Uh, uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Write this down if you would. It's background of where we're going. Romans 15, verse 4 says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. He's talking about the Old Testament. That we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, that's the Old Testament, might have hope. Jesus basically says the same thing. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. Old Testament. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Isn't that powerful? For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one yacht or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Till what's, what's fulfilled? The Old Testament. You say, Jackie, are you sure about that? I'm absolutely sure about it. But listen, are you sure you know what the Old Testament is? The Old Testament is what sets you up to receive the New Testament. Jesus said all of this that was written beforehand, was written of me. For behold, lo, in the volume of the book, it says in Psalm 40, it is written of me. Luke chapter 24, verse 27. You guys know this. Jesus talking with the disciples on the day of uh, his resurrection on the Emmaus Road. He says at the beginning, he, he said, and beginning at Moses, this is Jesus, uh, all he's, at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them. He unpacked the word of God to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself, Jesus Christ, the Old Testament. And then right before we dive in now to our first point, this is the final uh, passage, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's warning you about. Verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, even uh, gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Very foundational to where we're going. What he just said to you is, God in Christ Jesus went to the cross to pay for your sins and to die for our sins and to provide salvation or to make salvation available to all who will believe. So when we look at this in the context of this chapter, you're going to be tempted to think, oh my goodness, I, uh, I love the Lord, but I think maybe, maybe I'm going to be ejected from the family of God. No, listen, you need to hear the comfort verses also where God says, you're my child. Nobody can snap, snatch you out of my hand. You're in my Father's hand. We've got you covered. You're sealed until the day of redemption. I'll never leave you or forsake you. All of these things are true for the believer who has come to faith in Christ. The apostate believes but has no faith. And over the time, they give up. So number one, look at it, church. Apostasy or reality, where are you? Verses 26 to 27, we're challenging ourselves by looking around. We're going to look around at ourselves. Just look around at yourself. Don't look at anybody else as a Christian, because in this room, let's just, let's just say, well, all of us are Christians right now. You may have stumbled in here, not a Christian. Well, right now, assume you're a Christian. And instead of looking at everybody else, I'm asking you, because the scripture is going to ask you in a moment, to take a walk around yourself. Just imagine a freeze frame of yourself and you step out of your very body and you just take a little tour, 360 degrees all the way around yourself and you examine. 
Who you are. What you are. What do you desire? What is your passion? Why, why are you living? What's the purpose? And then if you want to think about it outside that ring of examination, what do others think about you? What, what do they see in your life? And listen, who are we when we're public? And who are we when we're private? Last night, I have to keep this. Uh, last night, Lisa and I had dinner at a very, very famous person's home. Uh, I can't say their names. It wouldn't, it's not, I'm not allowed to say that. Uh, but it was very, very, very secluded. Very, very, and, and they listened to the word of God. They, they love the Lord. So you don't know exactly how this is going to go. And so we show up. And have you, ever, have you ever had this happen? You show up, and uh, the moment you walk across someone's door, the doorstep, there's a feeling like you've been there forever. There's a feeling that Jesus is in this home. And uh, this individual with all of their power and all of their incredible wealth, none of it matters. And for hours, we just sat at the table, the bunch of us, and talked about Jesus. And what about this? And And what about this passage? And then, well, this doctrine, and I heard this guy say, so where is this at? And I'm telling you right now, that kind of relationship happens on an ash heap or in a mansion because of God's people and what he's doing. And when he works in your heart a work, the work is then put through the fire and tested over life and over time. Something apostates never survive. Listen up. Oh, pastor, our family's really going through it. I understand, listen, God's grace will get you through. But listen to this. This is tough stuff. We're living at a time right now where we're seeing husbands and wives or sons and daughters or moms and dads in this fire that is now upon the church and these closing days of church history. People are being tested and shaken and just because that person has your same last name doesn't mean they're going to heaven. Some people are giving up. What's happening? Apostasy is real. And people don't want to like to talk about it. It doesn't look, this doesn't give you a warm and fuzzy feeling in a church service to want to come back next Wednesday. I understand that. Do you understand that's not what we're in God's business for? You've got to know the truth. Are you really, truly a child of the living God? Because if you know this then you won't have to worry about are you an apostate or not? Or will you ever be involved in apostasy? You won't lay awake at night wondering, is that me? So when he says in verse 26, for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer, or there, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. We'll explain this in a moment. What a statement that is. But a certain, this, this is the fallout of verse 26, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Will you mark this down in your note taking? Is a believer an adversary of God? Is a child of God an adversary to the Father? No. So you want to get that down right now from the beginning. Verses 26 and 27, all of a sudden we know this. For if we sin willfully, by the way, the word in the Greek, if we sin, the word is to sin and sin and sin again. It means to live a life of sin, all the while feigning that you are a child of God. That on Sunday, everybody knows that you're a child of God by observation. But down deep inside, you know that you're a pornographer, or that you're a a trafficker, or uh, you you love your drugs more than you love God, but you put it on. This verse, by the way, it's amazing to me that the correlations uh, on Wednesdays and Sundays right now with Romans and Hebrews on this. Wow. If we keep on sinning, if that's what we want to do, and we do it willfully. In the Old Testament, 
The Bible tells us that this is the sin of the high hand. You, you may or may not know this, but do you remember when David... Okay, did David love God? Was David a man of God? David got sloppy and lazy in his leadership, which is indicative of his relationship with Jesus also. David stays home when he should have gone to war. Israel is battling. What's David doing? He's looking at Bathsheba taking a bath. He wants her, so he plans and figures out how to have her. He gets her, and then when he finds out that she's pregnant, and he learns that one of his generals is her husband, he has him murdered, and then takes her to be his wife. When it's found out, did you know, according to the Bible, did you know what God was supposed to do to David and Bathsheba both? They were supposed to be stoned to death. Did you know that? Did you know that King David never, was never supposed to live? Did you know that? According to the Bible. According to Moses, David was supposed to die. And David threw himself upon the mercy of God, cried out to God, begged God's forgiveness. Listen, God spared David's life, but did David have trouble all the rest of his life? Was David forgiven? Yes. Did David have trouble? Yes. Why? Because we reap what we sow. But I find it extremely New Testament-like in David's life that God would forgive him and not kill him. Because according to Moses, imagine if Moses would have been standing right there, Moses would have said, David, now doggone, go stand over there. Now stand still. And he would have been stoned to death. But God's grace. For if we sin, that Greek tense means to go on sinning. Do you keep sinning the same sin and just write it off to, uh, well, you know, we're all human? You, you may be somebody that's in the state of apostasy, not backslidden. A backslidden person hates it. They can't stand it. And by the way, listen, let me make this clear too, and you're going to hate me for it. Don't think for a moment that the reality is you are probably an apostate, but you think, oh, I guess I'm backslidden then, because I'll just keep on hating it. It's the same definition. You're an apostate. A Christian cannot stay in a state of sin and enjoy it, have a good time at it, and plan on doing it again. Do Christians fall? Yes. Do we sin? Yes, let's be honest. Every single one of us sin on a daily basis. Do we get up in the morning and plan on it? No. But d does our temper flare up? Do we have that bad thought? Do we think a selfish thought? All of that is sin. By the way, to enjoy a walk with God, to be in a state of continuous revival is to be in a state of continuous repentance whenever we sin. Did you know that? That's, that's a revival, is when you sin and you realize it. You don't justify it, but an apostate does. Oh, come on, everybody's doing it. Listen, we live in an age of apostasy when we've got churches. Are you sitting down? We've got churches in our nation where... People who didn't drink before went to, the, went to that church and started to drink because they were told they've got the liberty in Christ to drink. They didn't smoke before, but they learned how to smoke at a church because it was said, we've got liberty in Christ. They learned how to have sex without having intercourse because it's not officially sex. So that sounds very Clintonian, doesn't it? Remember that? <laughs> did, I did not have sex with that woman. According to his definition, he didn't. According to God, yes, he did. See, we live in a world like that, and then we slap a cross on it or a something on it, and we think we're Christians. You can't live like that, people. God will not let you do that. Here's the funny thing, and I'm, look, I'm going to try to say this in a, in a funny way, so, but, but if you were tonight as a believer, say, well, that's it, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go put this to the test. I'm going to go out and send up a storm. If, if, the, if, if the starting gun went off, bang, go. 
and people got up to go, those would be apostates. Because the Christian would say, I don't think that's a good idea. Um, and even if they dangled the addresses of your, uh, you know, the, the one that you used to be with back in those days, and, and oh, 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 that's where he or she lives, uh, you would say, get that away from me. That's a believer. That's so important. So you look around yourself and listen, church, what do you see happening with you? What do you see happening with you regarding this issue of sin? The word willfully means this, to volunteer oneself. I mean, I had to laugh when I read this. It's like, what, are you kidding me? For if we volunteer ourselves after we have received the knowledge of the truth, that's kind of more clear though, isn't it? I volunteer to sin. You're an apostate. So, hey, wait, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're going to go sin up a storm next Tuesday. Hey, can I come? Don't call yourself a Christian. You're an apostate. If you're backslidden, guess what? If you're backslidden and you go, your friends are going to take you back home because you're such a party pooper. A backslidden Christian tries to act like they're having a great time. And the Holy Spirit in them is saying, this is no fun. You're sinning against me. You're dishonoring the name of Jesus. God sees all of this. You don't belong here. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, but when somebody comes to me and says, Pastor Jack, will you pray for me? My husband's being unfaithful or my wife's being unfaithful. I always say this. I say, of course, we're going to pray right now. And I'm not asking you to agree with my prayer. That's what I tell them. If I've prayed with you, you know this. I'll say to you, I'm not asking you to agree with my prayer. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that you would speak to Rocky, wherever he is. And the next time that he's with bubbles, that he throws up. He throws up, he gets sicker than a dog, he can't handle it, he falls apart, he can't function, he just gets absolutely laid low, taken out at the knees. Lord, I pray this upon Rocky, in Jesus' name, amen. And the poor woman's like... (laughs) Some women say, amen. You can't stay in the sin. You can't stay there. And God is so gracious that even if you are bound up in it, as a child of God, God will eventually bring you home prematurely to save your life eternally and his name as a witness in this world. To volunteer yourself, an apostate steps forward, signs up. The word means to walk through the door. Can you see, like, I'm sorry, but an apostate who signs up for sin, they have no stomach for Christ, though they use his name, you see him walking through the door, it's like somebody walking, in, walking into a, a, a slaughterhouse. Isn't that the warning in the book of Proverbs when the immoral woman says, I saw a young man walking down the street, and I opened my door by the lattice, and she called out to him and said, oh, my husband's gone away, come she says, and have, let's have our uh, love, uh, night of love full. And the Bible says that that dummy didn't know, didn't stop to think that as he went to her, that her, her actions, her, their relation would actually lead to him being really killed by the act because it says that it even goes so far to say that it, that action struck through his liver. I find that fascinating. Because when you live an immoral life, do you know what suffers almost immediately? Your liver. Your liver. Multiple partners in sex destroys your immune system. And it devastates your liver. And the Bible knew that. The, uh, the Bible said that 3,000 years ago. I don't know why I'm yelling. We shouldn't be, su- shouldn't be surprised God wrote the Bible. I mean, he, he knew all about the liver. He made it. 
And then the word received, listen to this, for if we sin willfully after having received. What is it? Well, Jack, does this mean we lose our salvation? No, it means the person sat right next to you and listened to the same message you did, and they even said, yeah, that's good. I believe that. But it never went any further. They, they acknowledged, yep, I, I, I believe that. It wasn't received. That Greek word lambano means to take up, receive, accept, to collect. In this case, they didn't hang on to it. And then that word knowledge, this is very, very serious people, that they willfully send after having received the knowledge, and this is epigonoskos, and this is the word that means to recognize. Listen, how many people do you and I know who no longer walk with God, but they recognized, hang on, They recognized, they were informed of, they came to know. Do you know anybody who now is no longer walking with Jesus? In fact, they've denied Christ. Maybe they're even proud atheists, but if you ask them, can you tell me the gospel? They can say it better than you can. They can regurgitate the gospel. They know John 3.16. And they might even say, I believe that's in the Bible. Ah, but do you have... Belief that God has provided this salvation for you to the point where you'd exercise the verb faith. Oh, no, not, no. No, that's good for you. It's okay, it's okay for me. Listen, mark this down if you would. What are the characteristics? We all need to know this. What are the characteristics of apostasy and apostates? Very important. We, we need to know this. Just like church, by the way, uh, last night, I don't know where you guys were, but did your phone, it depends on where you were, did your alarm go off on your phone because a child was abducted? And uh, we, were, we, were at, we were at that home when our phones went off, and immediately we all stopped and started praying for that child to be rescued. And then it wasn't long after that, the child was found safe and sound. That's awesome. Why do I bring that up? Uh, for this reason, we need to have a time where we as a church, almost as it were, pause from a Sunday even. I mean, we'll give the gospel, of course, but we need to have a lesson. Maybe we need somebody to come in here and teach us on how to recognize not so much apostates and and those that are in apostasy. That's what I'm going to be doing with you. Somebody who comes and tells us, this is how you spot a trafficker. This is how you see someone who's moving in the realm of men's souls. Buying and selling people. Slavery. At an all-time human high. Right now, in our world today. Well, I would submit to you, so is apostasy. And apostates. Jude chapter 1, verse 1. Jude 1. Are you guys okay? Because this is a heavy. This is a big one. This is, this is tough stuff. I'm going to dread the next several Wednesdays. Because you got to have it. You got to have it, but um, it's, it has saved your life. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified. Notice everybody, have some comfort here. That's past tense. You're in the family. Amen. By God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Verse 2, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Verse 3, beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. How come? Why, Jude? What's up? Here's what's up. Verse 4, for certain men have crept in unnoticed. That's pretty eerie, isn't it? Jude, what, what, what are you all excited about? Certain, I wanted to talk to you about how awesome God's salvation is, but it's absolutely essential that I not talk about that. Instead, something urgent. We have a bulletin, he would say. We have an alert. What is it? Certain people have crept in here without being noticed. They're not of us. Isn't that amazing? Shouldn't surprise us. who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. That means God knew all about it. Ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness 
and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing? What's, in, what's implied here is that they use a religious setting to defraud somebody. Defraud somebody would be to take advantage of them in some way, uh, but it certainly would include uh, promiscuity or sexually. But somebody who would sneak in the church and listen, use Christians to peddle their business. After service, they're out in the parking lot handing out their business cards. You ever see that? Listen, you need to let one of our ushers or security people know. That's wrong. Or how about the cults that come here on a regular basis? We have little cult detectors. <laughs> little, we know what to look for. But that's the obvious. The ones that I believe he's talking about are those who you and I cannot detect. And he says to watch out for them. But notice that they not only turn the grace of God into lewdness. I think I mentioned this a moment ago. They talk about the grace of God. And then they use that theology upon somebody, somebody to take advantage of them in a lewd manner. Oh, didn't, oh look, God, God created you and you're beautiful. God created me and I'm clearly beautiful. So what could be wrong? And they take captive gullible women, the scripture says. But this word they, that they've crept in, you got to circle that word crept in in Jude 1 verse 4 because it means, this is graphic, it means that they slip in, watch, they slip in. So, okay, imagine that there's a line right here. This is what the word means. It means that they come up and they are acting like they're not going to try to get in the line. They're acting like, oh, what's that? What's that? You ever seen people like that? Like an amusement park or at a... Everybody's in line. We're all in, everybody's in line. I had a friend come from Russia. She said, uh, you, and we're at Universal Studios. And there's no, there's just lines on the, there's lines on the ground. And she goes, it's her first time ever in America. And she's told us, she goes, I, I, I can't believe what I'm seeing. And I said, what is it? She goes, you guys stand, you guys are in line and you're following each other she said, do you know what happened in Russia right now? Whoever's the strongest gets to the front of the line. There's no line. You just pile in. You just go for it. And we're, we're like this, next. <laughs> so think of this line. An apostate comes up very, very, with much guile. Hmm, what's going on? And the word in the Greek means slips in. Oh, hi, when would you get here? Well, when do you get here? They just blend right on in. That's the danger of an apostate. And once they insert themselves, they begin to propagate some sort of theology or doctrine that begins to be energized by Satan. That's, that's who they're being operated by to lead people astray. Satan will come in and he'll try to pick people off one at a time. That's... That's what a, a wolf does to, uh, you know, a, an elk herd or something. Just one at a time. That, the wolf doesn't eat all the elk at the same time. Look for little, look for old, look for vulnerable or injured. To assimilate in. The characteristics, listen to this, Acts chapter 20, verse 26. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood. This is Paul speaking of all men. Wow. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So he's speaking at a pastor's conference on the beach there. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I love that. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among your own selves... Men will rise up, speaking perverse things. That doesn't mean they're cussing. I heard him cussing in the parking lot. That's not what it means. It means they're speaking perverse things, meaning that they're giving you doctrines to lead you away from Christ. Twisted things. Things that are bent. Well, I don't know if Jesus was really God. I, I, I don't think so. Because, you know, I looked at this verse right here. 
And those, listen, apostates and cults will always use a verse out of context. They don't study the Bible like you do here. If you go through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, you can't bamboozle anybody. The context is clear. That's why cults never do it. Beware of a church. I'm sorry, I'm going to get letters on this one. Beware of churches that don't go systematically through the Bible. Get in a book and, and go through the book. He goes on. For I know that after my departure, as I said, wolves will come in, not sparing the flock. Uh, also from among your own selves, they'll speak perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. They have to have a following. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears, said the apostle. Don't be deceived, he was saying to them. 2 Corinthians 11. Can you guys write fast? Because I have to go fast. I'm out of time. 2 Corinthians 11. Characteristics of an apostate or apostasy. But what will I do? I will also continue to do, says Paul, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things in which we boast. In other words, there's fake apostles, Paul said. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing and I'm going to try to shut those guys down the best I can. Verse 13, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. Do you think that's pretty deceptive? And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Wow. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Can you trust everybody that's on the radio? Can you trust everybody that writes a book? Can you trust everybody that's on Christian TV? Better have your Bible open. Better judge them all. And I mean judge. We're not supposed to judge. No, the word means we're not supposed to condemn. We don't have the authority. We're fruit inspectors. <laughs> to judge. You, Jesus says you'll know them by their fruits. We have no authority to condemn anybody. That's God's business. But we are commanded to judge not only ourselves, but others to determine if they're in the faith or not. Well, how are we going to know? Fruit. Fruit. What's coming out of their lives is absolutely essential. Titus chapter 1 verse 10. Titus 1 10 says, For there are many insubordinate. That word can also be, in some of your translations, brazen. You know what brazen means? That's an old word, brazen. Insubordinate. It means they don't follow anybody but themselves. They won't submit to anybody. They're, they're the expert on it all. And they, they usually say things like this. Oh, your small group leader said what? Well, if you really want to know the truth, I'll meet you at Starbucks on Tuesday. I'll tell you the truth. They've got to be drawing a crowd. They've got to be the one with the final word. And they've got to get disciples after themselves. What else does he say? He says both idle talkers and deceivers. Especially those of the circumcision. Or in, our age, or in our day and age, you could say legalism. Whose mouths must be stopped. Wow. Who subvert whole households. Teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. What's in it for them? One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may... See, well, that point was they, they just put people down and exalt themselves. Rebuke them sharply that they may be uh, sound in the faith not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. This is beautiful. Listen to this. To the pure, all things are pure. If God has done a work in your heart, you will see things the way that God wants you to see them. It's supernatural, but watch this. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Everything they see in here, they have a filthy comment about it. They are, they're reprobate apostates. 
Oh, wasn't that great? Did you see that? And they give, they give some lewd, slimy remark. You ever seen people like that? Do you ever work with people like that? I used to work with people like that. I mean, not too many people. There's one guy. There's one guy. The company I worked for had incredibly high moral standards. It was awesome. But there was, there was one guy, and we're all working in this project, and he starts to tell a dirty joke. And that was like completely against corporate rules. He starts telling a dirty joke. It was his project, so I thought he could, he probably thought he could do this. And you, do you guys remember, any old timers here remember the, the, uh, Nor, the Norwalk, North, wait, the Whittier. Remember the Whittier earthquake? Anybody remember that one? It was a whopper. And our lab, because it had to be sensitive with all the material, our lab is built on wheels. So the whole thing started taking off and water started breaking and everything. And the guy right in the middle of his joke looks at me. He knows a Christian. He looks at me and he says, pray, pray. Isn't that great? Just because he said that, I didn't pray. I just, I was like, what? It's like, let it roll, Jesus. Let it roll. <laughs> but everything was filthy with this guy. The only thing he had going for me is that he was a very smart guy. And that's a very sad thing. They profess to know God. They go to church. But in works, they deny him. Being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. This is brutal. Listen, we're going to end at this. And church, I want you to just right now think in your own life. See, Jack, I've been a Christian for years. That's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking you to ask yourself what I think every Christian asks themselves. In fact, I'll answer it this way. They were all seated at the table on the night of Jesus' betrayal. And Jesus says, I tell you, one here at the table that is among us will betray me. And do you remember what happened? All of them began to say, Lord, is it I? The only one who didn't really say it like the others was Judas himself. Could you, could you just think, just be there. You're at the table. John's starting to freak. Wait a minute, is it me? Why would John think it's him? Why did Peter think it was him? Why did James or Andrew think it was him? Because we struggle in this life with the two natures of who we are now that we're in Christ. We love him, but there's that part of us that says, are you really a believer? You know, it's been pretty easy. How do you know when the tough times come? You'll probably fold. Or you know, you lost your temper there with that person and whatever it might be, and you, you call yourself a Christian? You must be that apostate person that Jack was talking about. That's what he does. And the thing is, if it wasn't for the grace of God and the power of God, we would have to agree. Are you and I such stellar Christians that if, the, if everybody here followed us exactly as we follow Jesus, that that would be a good thing? I hope the answer to that is yes. But if you're masquerading as a Christian and you come in and out of the doors of this church, we're asking God to reveal who you might be. And that might be that you just never come back. That's fine with us. You're an apostate. You've heard the truth. And you, knowing the way, will have nothing to do with it. But you're among God's people. Which is why God has pastors pastoring. 
We're supposed to watch over the flock. Now, eventually we'll get to this in the book of Hebrews, but don't, don't actually do this. It says, kiss those who watch over you. It says three things. In Hebrews 13, we don't need to do this. It says, greet them who watch over your souls, the pastors that feed you the word of God. It says to honor them. That just says, hey, how you doing? Um, and, and kiss them. Well, but in the Middle East, they, they kiss. We're not, we're not in the Middle East, so lay off. <laughs> right? Fist bump's fine. But the point is this. It's the pastors that are called by God, not the pastors that are not called by God. The pastors that are called by God will have to give an account to God for the welfare of their flock. You, you know that? And so that's why, seriously here, if next Wednesday half of this, half of this church shows up, that would be a good thing. You understand that? That's how serious eternal life is. And so the author's laying it down very strong. So these next several weeks, we're going to have some strong meals and some deep soul searching. Let's stand together right now, and I would just want to pray. Father, I, I ask that as we stand here right now together, Lord, I know in my own life, over all these years, I know that you've never left me, even in my fear or even in my doubts or even in my, my questions. You, you were always there. You're so patient. And Lord, you've proven yourself faithful. I'm not concerned about you. I'm concerned about me. I know I'm yours. I know that when I die, I'm going to go be with you. I have, of that, I have no doubt but Lord, in my life, at this age of my life, and what you've done in my life, I don't want to disappoint you from this moment forward. I don't want to tear down the name of Jesus, privately or publicly. And Lord, that's not for me. That is the Holy Spirit's will. And I pray for all of our lives here tonight that God, we would be a people that would be absolutely, clearly humbled by so great a salvation. And to be able to say tonight, God, I thank you that I am not planning and plotting on sinning. That we don't have a car waiting to whisk us to some sexual escapade or some drug fest are some lewd place. My friend, tonight as we close in prayer, silently please, but for those of us who are in the family of God, we should quietly, softly tell him how grateful we are that he saved us so powerfully. And for the man or the woman that's here today, tonight, that is just saying, you know what? Just put a lid on it, Pastor. I got I to gotta get to my thing. Christ died on the cross for your sins and you've thrown it back in his face. And he warns you in this portion of scripture that there's nothing that awaits you but a fiery indignation and wrath. I hope and pray because Jesus loves you that you're not an apostate, that you refuse now from this moment forward to walk with Jesus and to run from such things. Holy Spirit, revive us again. Holy Spirit, send your rushing mighty wind and breathe a new life within us. Blow through us, Lord. Temples of the living God. That's who we are. But Father, in this late, in this late hour, in this late age, may this church be a church of holiness and of love and of righteousness and of truth, even if it stings. To God be the glory. Thank you, Jesus, for your cross. 
Thank you for being resurrected from the dead. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Church, let's wash his feet with this worship song. Let's thank him in this song of praise.